All right. We are going to start today's session with a conversation with Pashkal Ghosh, who is partner and CTO at HVC. We're going to learn about Pashkal's firm. But let's start, Pashkal, with a bit of your background. You have a very interesting background, and you have a you've come up the technology track. So talk about what you've done before switching sides to the venture capital world. Sure thing. Romana, thank you so much for having me. And good morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm an accidental VC. Um, did a PhD in computer science many years ago and spent about 23, 24 years in industry, built database kernels at Oracle, and then went to Yahoo, uh, ran a company called Right Media there, which is the biggest advertising exchange of the time. And then was uh, it was lucky and exciting to be the founding head of data infrastructure at LinkedIn. We got to do a lot of the open source stuff that you guys might have heard about, built a lot of backends that LinkedIn still still runs on, which was very exciting. Then wanted to go run uh, kind of my own uh, gig and went and ran a small fintech company called Nerd Wallet, which uh, you know we just went IPO about six months ago. After that, I retired. I was actually going to go move to DC to join Hillary Clinton's administration, but that didn't happen. Became an angel investor advisor, and through a set of happy accidents, came to HBC for a year, and stayed, and then you know became an became an investor and um, focus heavily on enterprise infrastructure now. But we can spend more time on the investment track, uh, track uh, as part of the. So chat. what, um, Bashkar, What is the focus of HBC? What's the investment thesis? Yeah. So uh, we are. Uh, based in San Francisco, Austin, and New York. We manage about $6 billion and are currently investing out of our fourth core fund of $640 million and our second growth fund of $800 million. Um, and uh, in terms of thesis, primarily B2B software, our fund's core investing principles have been around what we call smart enterprise. Our founder, Joe Lonsdale, wrote a uh, wonderful article back in 2012-2013, which has still proved fairly prescient. So the idea of smart enterprise is taking legacy verticals and disrupting them with data, AI, cloud, and automation. It applies to both vertical and horizontal software. Um, in the last five years, we've moved much more deeply into horizontal platforms and infrastructure in a big way, and also started focusing on developer personas and in, in, in addition to business and product personas. Um, so for my track, which I, I tend to focus very very heavily on platforms at all the tiers, cloud, data, AI, all the way to APIs and application infrastructure. And just wanted to call out that, you know, while we are an investment firm, we are very proud to call ourselves a build firm also. So 23% of our core fund is actually allocated to what we call the build program, where we, in, where we incubate almost three to five companies every year, all the way from health IT, bio IT, to um, insure tech. And now I'm actually starting a new company in the area of enterprise software security. So we, while, so we think of ourselves, so our firm has a fairly strong entrepreneurial and operational spirit. And I'd say we think of ourselves more as builders and less as investors. Coming back to the investment thesis, as I said, Vertical SaaS with very heavy focus on data, AI, and automation was the core. And now, you know, we have moved, we have also added to it. And, and vertical SaaS took us to legacy 
uh, verticals very productively, say in fintech, insurtech, logistics, transportation, uh, supply chain. And then we started doing health IT and bio IT before I joined the firm and just to repeat myself, uh, have now moved fairly deeply and widely into infrastructure at all, at all levels. Um, so can you talk about the early stage investment work that you do? What check size do you like to write? What do you want to see in a fund, in a company before you're willing to write those checks? Yeah, so our core fund, we focus on early phase investing. So pre-seed, seed, and series A. Pre-seed and seeds can be anywhere from half a million to three, four, three, four million. A's can be anywhere from five to 15. We do have, we have done a few B's also, but those are more rare for our core fund. They can be anywhere from 20 to 20 to 35, so fairly large checks. The growth checks from our growth fund can be much larger, and they're, I'd say, uh, we do a few in new companies, but many of them are are kind of larger reserves coming into our you know faster growing and larger companies. Um, now, when you do pre-seeds, let's focus on the pre-seed seed yes. uh, first. Uh, when you do pre-seed, are you investing in concepts? Are you investing in people, or are you looking for a certain amount of yes. proof points, MVP? What what is the sweet spot? Yes, sorry, I didn't I, I didn't address that. Pre-seed and seed, we we I would say if you look at founders, product, and market slash TAM, we focus fairly heavily on founder DNA and on and on the market size of the of the domain that the founders are going after. We are not looking for product market fit. We are not even looking looking for a product. We tend to work and gel very closely with highly technical entrepreneurs. So I would say mm -hmm. there's a bimodal DNA there. We do back, you know, given, you know, we do back very early phase, uh, very, you know, first time entrepreneurs often coming out of schools. We have a very strong campus program, you know, at Yale, Caltech, Harvard, MIT, Stanford, and we tend to back programs out of a few campuses, uh, founders out of these campuses fairly heavily. We are also, we also find ourselves backing second time entrepreneurs from, from our network. But the DNA for the second time entrepreneurs tends to be domain experts and mostly highly technical founders. So highly technical mm -hmm. founders and high time areas would be the common would be the common pattern. As we do larger okay. seeds, as we do larger seeds, we tend to look for something to have been built all, already, or maybe an open source project that is already in already in production. And that's that's where kind of our open source DNA comes in also. And what about geography? Geography, in my personal track, we still see a majority of deals and entrepreneurs coming from the San Francisco Bay Area. So in infrastructure and open source, San Francisco Bay Area is still overwhelmingly the source. In vertical SaaS, we do see New York expanding a bit. We see Boston expanding a bit. Something to call out at this point is, you know, we have become much more serious about the India-U.S. corridor. We just wrote our mm -hmm. first large series A check into India, into a company called Rocket Lane, coming out of the Freshworks ecosystem in um, Chennai. We have we have written three or four seeds also, and then we have also started writing checks into the LATAM ecosystem, and we do uh, we have. We have investments in Israel and UK also, and we see that growing also in the 
early phase side. So primarily San Francisco Bay Area and increasingly in the in India as well as Latin. Okay. Now, uh, what trends are you seeing in your deal flow right now? Trends, I mean... Uh, that, you know, like highlights of... You know, there are general trends that we know uh, we cover intensely, we cover AI intensely, we know there's a lot going on in FinTech, we, we cover that intensely, there's a lot going on in IoT right now, there's a lot going on in digital health. Those are kind of the broad trends, but um, are there specifics that are, you know, slightly more interesting, more insightful um, things that, you ha that have caught your attention? Yeah, um, I, I'll probably give a slightly slightly boring answer to uh, st start off. In in the track that I am running, we still see, uh, which is all things data, AI, cloud, all the way to APIs and application infrastructure, you know, all the way to edge, in fact, and for like data, data aware and AI aware applications, we are still seeing a very heavy uh, and very productive ecosystem around open source projects getting getting productized so that that continues mm -hmm. to be that continues to be a fairly um, ripe area and you know given our background it's something that we still continue to focus on uh, we continue to see legacy verticals whether it's healthcare logistics uh, travel e-commerce and fintech getting unbundled and becoming api first and we see a propensity of not only workflow automation, but also of horizon of kind of verticalized infrastructure platform plays coming into into these verticals. So, in terms of thesis areas, we see uh, as enterprises are pulling on the software side to become more data first, AI first, API first, cloud first, and also security first, we are seeing a fairly secular trend in software startups in that area. Uh, I would say that continues to be important. We are still seeing, despite the downturn, second-time entrepreneurs coming coming into the fore in these, in these areas. That doesn't uh, surprise me. You know, entrepreneurs, once they're entrepreneurs, cannot stop being entrepreneurs, actually. <laughs> true. I would so, say, uh, talk about, yeah. No, no. Go ahead. I was about to ask you about some examples from your current portfolio. What uh, what are some companies that you've invested in, especially in the pre-seed stage, seed stage, and um, take do a couple of examples. And specifically, oh, yeah. as you were talking about them, explain what is it that you saw in these companies that caught your attention enough for the firm to write checks? Oh, sure. Um few few examples in the data analytics and privacy infrastructure area i should call out acryl which is taking to you know building the enterprise grade version of the open source project called linkedin data hub the founders are uh, you know very senior data search and infrastructure leaders that i actually worked with during my time at yahoo and linkedin so a lot of it was a bet on them but also on the project linkedin data hub which is really hitting an inflection point in the uh, the AI-driven privacy infrastructure area, we did a pre-seed in a company called Lightbeam with very senior technical leaders and builders coming out of Nutanix and LinkedIn. Again, some of whom I had actually worked with. And we feel that privacy was is actually 
for structured and unstructured data and for different sort of repositories is an extremely important area which is not as well and as well built into and as well understood as it should be that companies lightbeam um some of the others are uh, uh, i would say nilus is one of our api infrastructure companies which is building which has built a platform which democratizes and scales access to mail um contact calendar and has now become more of a data intelligence company we were there right from when it was actually started and you know have the company grow that's become a significantly large company uh, we also if you look at the python pandas ecosystem for data scientists we did a seed pre-seed in a company called ponder which is coming out of berkeley rise lab in the, which is them which is uh, building on the open source project called modin um other than that uh the i mean the company we are starting now which will probably remain in stealth um called anzena um mm-hmm. is is going to be i would say in the enterprise security democratization area i'll just i'll just leave it at that and to call out the last one very early also we have backed a company called infra hq out of waterloo with a veteran from docker which is doing something fairly deep and open source in the area of identity and access management for for cloud for cloud infrastructure so i i think i called out acro called out lightbeam called out ponder mm-hmm. called out infra hq these are just some of about 2025 odd investments we have in this area Vasco, talk a little bit about this uh, company that you've invested in from the Freshworks ecosystem. Is it built on the Freshworks stack? The, uh, the founders uh, are second-time founders. Their first company was acquired by Freshworks. The company is called Rocket Lane. Okay. And mm-hmm. just, uh, just we are huge. Just, I just want to call something out. We are huge, huge fans of the entrepreneur ecosystem coming out of Freshworks and Zoho, which are both in Chennai. you know which are both uh, you you know of course freshworks has had an amazing ipo which have almost revolutionized the b2b saas ecosystem of india and just put a whole different spin on how how uh, how go to market is done coming back to rocket lane specifically rocket lane is built for b2b saas companies which are selling software that is complex and needs an implementation cycle so you can think of rocket lane as asana plus plus for the for the for the go to market implementation integration and customer support cycle for all for all b2b saas companies and um, and you know i we are so we learn so much from the rocket lane and the india ecosystem from the entrepreneurs who have actually they've been doing this build in india sell in india and now sell in the us script just the go to market script about selling into mid market and smbs we are so excited about learning from them so it's an extremely exciting journey yeah so you know you you know this we have been involved in fest freshworks very early on 3 years first 3 years of freshworks they were incubated in 1 million by 1 million we had just started 1 million by 1 million at the time so i did we not saw know their that. early journey i, I yeah, that's, saw that's their amazing journey very closely not only yeah. that the first first um person who wrote about zoho was myself because sridhar vembu came to see me in 2007 and and said nobody wants to write my story because i haven't raised gobs of venture capital 
So I'm, you know, sitting here and I'm, I think I'm doing something really cool, but nobody's interested. So I listened to him and I thought he was super cool. And, um, and if you go back and read uh, what I wrote early on, that was the, that was the first, first story through which the world found out about Sridhar Bamboo. So the Zoho, I'm, I still remain very good friends with Sridhar. Um, I think the, both the Zoho story and the Freshworks story, we've had a close relationship with early on. But the reason I was asking about the Freshworks ecosystem is that they are also, they have tried to do a bit of a PaaS slash API ecosystem on their platform. Are you seeing stuff emerging out of that? Yeah, so I would say we are seeing one very mature and fast growing uh, track and two nascent but growing tracks coming out of not just Freshworks, but the Bangalore, Chennai, Hyderabad, in the Pune ecosystem in general. Around, uh, um, I mean, around departmental B2B SaaS, which is where I would like categorize Zoho and Freshworks. Yes, I would say um, two things are happening there in terms of product, uh, product ecosystem. One is exactly what you pointed out, that a lot of these products are get, are are offered as unbundled services with very good APIs so that they are fostering a developer ecosystem on top. That is one. The other is being able to keep CAC low and doing acquisition cheaply while using SEO, SEM, content much more niftily, sitting in India at much lower price points. That script of go-to-market we're seeing as something exceptionally creative. So that we're seeing in the B2B SaaS ecosystem where they're, they're able to sell not just to large enterprise, but to mid-market also, and still keep, keep it cost efficient. Second and third, we are seeing uh, we are seeing some amount of movement in developer tools and DevOps and QA, which is a very important area for ABCA. We, we are seeing founders doing, st doing open source companies out of India, from, you know, Trivandrum, Jaipur, Goa. We find that extremely, extremely exciting. That's number two. And number three is, I would say, infrastructure. If you look at, um, if you look at Hasura, if you, if you, if you look at Postman, uh, if, if you look at Browser Stack, we are beginning to see more, uh, uh, more core infrastructure companies around AI and data coming. And a lot of the founders in that ecosystem are kind of, They've gone through the Google, LinkedIn, Amazon, Facebook uh, journey inside of India on, 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 on the development side, and they are starting these AI and data and cloud and cloud infrastructure companies. So I would say track one is booming. Track two and three are definitely showing signs of life, and we expect great companies in all three tracks to come out of India in, in, in the next 10 to 15 years. Now, how do you process the a trend of the, you know, capital, there is a series A gap. Um, so there's pre-seed seed, and then there is, there are investors that are doing post-seed and series, pre-series A as well, but it's a smaller uh, pool. Uh, so, but, but the series A investors want to see a lot in place before they're willing to write the, and they want to write bigger checks. So how do you see this? There's a, there's a lot of seed activity. There's a lot of pre-seed activity right now. So there's a, the number of startups in the ecosystem is huge. 
this is more not specific to your firm. I'm asking you generally as an industry observer, how do you see this resolving? Like, is this going to be the, you know, some of the trends we are seeing is that some of the companies that are, you know, seed, pre-seed seed, pre -seed companies are exiting into companies that have raised a lot of money without trying to raise as much money themselves. That's just one way this like ex excess amount of companies that are getting started, they have to find some path either to funding or to exit or to becoming profitable. Ah, let me try to, okay, let me make sure I passed your question right. This is what I was asking you about last time. So what, what you're saying is so many PC and C deals are being done. How do these companies stay the course and last long enough and get funded? Exactly, so the end, because the number of Series A investments is not moving that much. Mm -hmm. um, so let me try to complement what you just said in terms of what we see. So selfishly, just to make a point about it, we see, yes, since we are lucky to have enough capital, when we do pre-seeds or seeds and the, and, and, and the company needs money, we just, stay, we just stay the course. We make sure that our companies right. are funded. Right. So you that, have a big enough fund, you can yes. stay the course. But there are so many funds that have Indeed. positioned themselves as pre-seed funds and seed funds. They're small funds. They can't stay the course. So, so that... So I would say we see two two things happening. We see larger funds, even B and C funds coming into seeds, just in terms of finding the best deals. That's also a phenomenon we're actually actually observing. Where, and as public markets go through a tough time for the next two to three years, we expect that kind of counter movement of very large funds coming into upstream continuing to But that to is happen. not gonna be able that is not going to be able to address the issue because the yes. the issue is that the the top of the funnel is very large. You know, a lot of companies are getting started. A tremendous number of companies are getting started, and there so, just isn't enough Series A deal. The, the number of Series A deals happening is just not at that level. Yeah, and this this is this is I mean this is how I think things will be shaken out. I think if you if you start a pre-seed or seed company with very little capital, you're giving yourself limited amount of time to build something decent, have a couple of wedge use cases, and be able to show a path to monetization. So, I mean, if you raise only two, two to three million dollars, that's just a risk that you take. I think it's subject, and I, I think it was still true, even when, even before we hit the downturn. I think only the the good or the better ones would be able to raise the next round to get to a large series a so i think in our in our experimental observations we have not seen that change and we think that is healthy i think what we are seeing changes uh, is good founders with with a track record or coming from open source software or having some sort of market credibility are able to raise larger seeds mango seeds and they are able to last the course and you know, make mistakes, pivot, iterate on their product and find, find, uh, find product market fit. For found, for seed funds, so let me, let, before directly answering your question or you know, maybe partially giving you a complimentary point of view, we do feel that capital, that seed funds and you know, with like single GPs and we work with a lot of them and are extremely supportive of them, we find seed funds often 
offer much more bespoke support to founders that is extremely important, whether it's in talent, go to market, product strategy, tech strategy, even, even initial biz dev, that larger funds with larger portfolios often are not able to offer. So in that context, we do see that good seed funds are able to back entrepreneurs with less capital and still get them to, to proof points where good funds can come in and either do like a post seed or do actually, actually series A. So we do not see that trend changing for good founders. What we do see changing without answering your question directly is series A investors are actually asking harder questions today than they were asking in Q4 of, of 2021. People are looking for more product. I mean, it is becoming less likely now that a pre-product company with a lack of, without several wedge use cases or a few pilots running in production, that they'll be able to raise a large, you know, 10, 12, $15 billion Series A. We see that as changing. We also see Series A valuations as, as coming down. Uh, but your point is well taken that with the lack of exuberance in Series A, this is translating to pre-seed and seed funds having a slightly slightly harder time. In a way, we think it's slightly healthy. And we think that over the next two, two to three years, only the good pre-seed and seed investment, you know, companies will go on to raise healthy A's. So I have a rather different point of view about the definition of good. You know, um, one million by one million has a philosophy that is completely counter to this VC obsessed uh, philosophy of Silicon Valley and and today the world because the world has uh, imported Silicon Valley's VC obsession, and uh, I don't like it at all. So, I, as far as I'm concerned, a, a bootstrap founder who fund uh, you know either raises a small amount of capital and continues to build a revenue. Um, business, you know, cash business, profitable business, and is, is a good founder. I don't have a I don't use the word bad founder for that kind of founder. They may be, they may not be fundable at the scale at which, you know, large Silicon Valley funds or large funds anywhere, Tigers and so forth, want to fund. But uh, I'm a huge fan of, you know, solid, sustainable bootstrap businesses. I'm a huge fan of capital efficient entrepreneurship. I'm a huge fan of bootstrapping to exit. We are we have sold many companies actually in one million by one million where small amounts of capital were raised or completely bootstrapped companies went straight into exit. And um, you know, I think I would push back on your use of the word good. Um, yeah, I think uh, maybe the word is not something that we are debating. I think it's the nature of product market fit and iteration that the company has gone through. Yeah, the, and, the nature of scalability, the nature of scalability and, and hence fundability. You have to have a very scalable, high velocity from company for it to be fundable at a series A level or even beyond. Yeah, let me add but some points there. I'm actually going to agree with you too much. It's going to, it's not going to be as exciting as we want it to be. I think it's very, <laughs> it's, it's much more, it's much more, it's much more, related to the domain that we're actually operating in. So when you, when we, what, what, what we see is that it depends on the bucket. If you are going into infrastructure at, at any level, finding product market fit takes a much, much longer time. And seed funds, A funds have to recognize that and 
if founders need money, a, a company needs money to iterate, to actually get into production, which for infrastructure software actually takes a lot longer and stabilization of these, right. these products take Those longer. Those are deep tech fast startups. Yes. Those don't so, follow the lean startup model. That's right. It's exactly yes. right. So, so, so that's, that's and, a different track. That's a different track. It's a very important track for us. That's what I'm trying to point out, which is why we yeah. invest in open source projects. Now, yeah. you look at vertical SaaS and you look at horizontal SaaS. By just for, for like definitional purposes, horizontal SaaS is something like, you know, sales, marketing, HR, all of the standard departments in enterprises, which are not vertical specific. We feel that scrappy and product kind of product market fit minded founding teams tend to find these wedge use cases early. I think it's a matter, I don't think that it usually requires a large amount of capital, whether it's vertical or or uh, horizontal SaaS. It's a matter of iterating fast enough and being kind of customer first and product first. And I'm, we are huge- And domain knowledge, I think, uh, domain knowledge is very key in that. We I was talking to an entrepreneur yesterday in oil and gas in Colorado, and, uh, and his company, they're already at 5 million in, uh, ARR and, and, and this is a company that is doing, there are probably 20 companies that are really their immediate cam and mm -hmm. each of these 20 companies are going to be doing, right now they're doing probably $2 million a year kind of business with them and this, this number is going to go up just because of the nature of the business. And and then there are more companies that are mid-sized and, and that are going to give them more repeatability and so forth but if you can if you can get like five ten companies that are willing to do two million dollars worth of business each that's your capital you don't need investment capital customer capital is perfectly fine and you can only do that if you have deep domain knowledge you have deep domain knowledge i think the other part that you might be implying is i think the cost structure is extremely important in terms of you know i mean what sort of a balance of engineering, product, sales, marketing, talent you need, and where they are actually locating. And if you're building it completely in Silicon Valley, the price points tend to be much higher. That's number one. And the other is something that I obliquely mentioned, which is the cost structure of CAC. I think these few factors actually matter a lot in capital efficiency. And, and founders who tend to focus on that early tend to fall into the scrap, into the sort of the near bootstrap category that you're actually pointing to. And we feel from our point of view at ABC, we have always been kind of monomaniacally focused on that about running lean. And I think what you're pointing out is there are pathways to success without raising a lot of capital with domain knowledge, where you can keep the, the cost structure much more optimal. And you know whether that exits to a large acquisition or to a, you know to a series C company, that's that's a separate matter. But I tend I tend to I tend to agree with you that domain knowledge and cost structures are extremely important things. And also business model, domain knowledge, cost structure, and business model. If your business model allows you to do these very large deals where large customers are willing to write you such big checks, that's that's. That doesn't happen to everybody, right? That's not, that doesn't happen to somebody who is doing a $1,000 uh, ARR kind of average deal-sized business. That's a different price point, different business model. Very true. And I think anyway. Right. Yep. Anyway, this, this was super, super exciting. I think we are probably running out of time, but this was... Uh... Fascinating. Fascinating Actually, questions. we have a very interesting conversation coming up. 
So, so if you are you hanging out, hanging on, or are you um, hanging I, up? I, 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 I will stay on for ten minutes. You've got, you've gotten me very excited. But thank you so much, uh, okay. for having me on your show. Appreciate it. It's and a really pleasure. Very nice to talk to you. Absolutely, very nice to talk.